This is Books, Beats, and Beyond, where we will bring you provocative music and engaging interviews from music artists, authors, and others with topics that will pique your curiosity. I'll be your host, Taj. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Tommy J. Curry about his groundbreaking book titled The Man Not, Race, Class, Genre, and the Dilemmas of Black Manhood. Dr. Tommy J. Curry posits that we should conceptualize the black male as a victim oppressed by his sex. He argues that black men struggle with death and suicide as well as abuse and rape and their genre existence deserves study and theorization. This book offers intellectual, historical, sociological, and psychological evidence that the analysis of patriarchy offered by mainstream feminism, including black feminism, does not fully understand the role that homoeroticism, sexual violence, and vulnerability play in the deaths and lives of black males. Dr. Curry challenges how we think of and perceive the conditions that actually affect all black males. Dr. Tommy J. Curry is Professor of Philosophy and Africana Studies at Texas A&M University. He also serves as Executive Director of Philosophy of Born Struggle. Dr. Tommy J. Curry, welcome to Book Speaks and Beyond. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. This book right here is amazing. Like thank this, you. This is one of those mind-shifting books for me. It's one of those paradigm-shifting books. I have a corner on my shelf and this is where this book goes now. <laughs> so I just wanted to ask you, what is it about your life experiences that compel you to do the work you do and led you to writing this book? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of strange. Uh, my life experiences kind of led me to analyze racism and segregation uh, because I grew up in Louisiana in the South. Uh, and that became the most apparent and, um, I guess, impassioned aspect of my intellectual trajectory. And I stumbled across something, you know, in grad school, uh, actually when I was taking uh, black feminism classes at DePaul. Mm -hmm. And one of those questions was, well, what about black men? Uh, I was taking courses in gender theory. I was working towards a gender certificate. And all the analyses of black men, because, uh, you know, bell hooks was big during that period of time, was early 2000s, mm, yeah. um, centered around them being patriarchs. Mm. And being from the South, coming from a working class background, first generation, I didn't understand the idea of black men having power and ruling over women through violence. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of the things that I said is that, you know, I come from uh, a family, a community where I've seen intimate partner violence, I've seen child abuse, um, but those things were never, you know, as they say in the in the literature, unidirectional. Um, these were incidences that flared up when people got drunk, men and women. Um, I've seen women attack men, I've seen women attack children, uh, and those things had a very different, uh, I guess, grounded in reality than the kind of theory I was getting in grad school. And I remember being in a black feminism class and saying, well, look, what about, you know, women who attack men? What about black men who are raped and victimized? And I remember the professor telling me, well, those things don't happen often enough to matter. Wow. Right. Mm. Uh, and the same thing. So, you know, those those kinds of problems were always on the back end. And I remember when I was working towards my Ph.D., 
one of the things that I ran across uh, are one of the things I said in class was this idea that black men were raped during slavery. Right. And there was this there was this 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 hush over the room <laughs> and then flat out denial. Wow. They're like black men weren't raped during slavery, mm. you know, because the idea was that to be raped was only something that happened to women. Right. And I and I said, if you just, you know, and I remember I remember arguing people say, if you just think about this logically, that's silly. Mm. Right. Like if rape is about power. If we admit that, you know, homosexuality is something that existed since the beginning of time, why would we not assume that that queerness allowed for the violation of male bodies? And even at that point, I was like, even women raping men. Mm-hmm. And then when I, I remember, I remember when they said, oh, you're just making up stuff now, Curry. If you're saying white <laughs> women were raping black men, you, you know. So, <laughs> right. uh, so a few years later, you know, after I finished my Ph.D., uh, I actually ran across uh, Thomas Foster's work in some passages in slave narrative. So I said, you know, I'm going to write an essay on the philosophical importance of black men being raped during slavery. And actually, chapter four of the book, Eschatological Dilemmas, is that essay. Mm. It was the first essay of the book that I wrote. And one of the two things happened. I presented that paper at a conference and a black feminist booed me. Whoa, Um, really? Yeah, yes, yes. So she booed me and said, you know, she was like, boo, boo. And and I remember remember just being taken aback by it, because I'm like, I'm reading, you've read the chapter, the chapter's about black men suffering. And the argument was, well, you're you're doing research that takes attention away from the real victims who are black women. Why right? is it a, why is it a competition? Is what I'm because not... that's that's the logics of gender theory that we live in, mm. you know. And I remember the other thing, and this is what changed my life, is that black men. I presented it at a few conferences, and black men start coming up to me and said that happened to me. Wow, yeah. and that's what made that project more than an intellectual project for me. Mm. Because when I started Eschatological Dilemmas, I was really just trying to explore an interest, something that people told me didn't exist uh, throughout my graduate and undergraduate career. When I start meeting black male victims, and it wasn't it wasn't just one. It was, you know, it was constantly, you know, one, two, three, four, you know, Mm -hmm. and it and it started bothering me. And they start telling me their stories about being raped as young boys. Uh, a few by men, but a lot more by women. Mm-hmm. Um, it started. It started changing me and unsettling me. Uh, it started unsettling how I saw the world. Uh, it started unsettling how I thought about black men, because uh, I was I was taught like everyone else. You know, I think I was much more sympathetic to black men historically in my work, but I was taught the same thing. Well, you know, black men are affected by racism, and that never settled with me. But I didn't really have the answers or resources because there was no black male studies. There were right. just individual books that may say something different. Right. Um, so st- in talking to these victims, I said, I started hearing stories about young boys being raped at the ages of nine, mm. uh, young boys being abused by women, uh, young boys being forced to watch sexual acts. And I started thinking, well, how does this change what we think black men and boys are vulnerable to right how does it change what we think that they actually go through in life so that motivated me to find out more and the man not is really uh, a testament to all the research i did over three or four years or, or four years uh to try to get an empirically based theory out there about the realities of black men and boys because the most cited works on black men are black feminists interpretations of black male yeah. life 
right? The, the most cited book on black men, if you go to Google Scholar, is Bell Hooks, We Rule Cool. Oh, and that wow. book has no citations. Mm. And and I say that a lot about Bell Hooks' work because, you know, people could, and that's not to dismiss Bell Hooks, but it's to say what is the grounding of what she actually knows about black men beyond her own experience. Right, the evidence. Yeah, the, yeah right. exactly. Because we're interpreting black men based on one black woman's traumatic experiences of black men. And then we're using those stereotypes or that one experience as the basis of generations of theories about their aspirations, their their motivations, and then how they actually exist in the world. Right. And I don't know any other group that we do that for in the academy. One of the one of the interventions of, of Patricia Hill Collins, Black Feminist Thought, was precisely to say that the positivism that looked that studied black women's objects didn't draw from their lived experience. Mm-hmm. But then the same black feminists who will quote Collins have no problem objectifying black men and narrowing them down to how black women experience black men and right. nothing to do with black men's lived experience. Right. So so the man not tries to break out of that. And that was a major inspiration, um, you know, trying to get the experiences of black male victimization, triumph and mm-hmm. failures to make them human. I think when I read the title, I, I read the subtitle so fast that I, I, I had to read it again because mm-hmm. the subtitle says race, class, genre and the dilemmas of black manhood in my head i thought gender but you said genre why did you use that word well genre means something a little different than gender oh you know as i explained in the introduction uh sylvia winter has this great essay uh that's talking about why genre is is focused more on types of oppression what is the kind of oppression that's created by the overall dynamics of colonialism or what we call you know heteropatriarchal cis capitalist you know all that mm-hmm. stuff that those long names we think adjectives mean i guess profundity now <laughs> <laughs> but with a colonial slash neo-colonial structure uh winter made the argument that while gender hierarchalizes man over woman and it doesn't allow us to really get at the nuance of non-being that genre is looking at the specific type of beings or or conditions created from a body uh, Mm. in certain circumstances and context so i thought that was much better than saying let's argue about gender and try to break through that hierarchy of male female Mm. that debate doesn't interest me because most of the debates about gender as i demonstrate in chapter one never apply to black people and why is that certainly i'm sorry why why does gender not apply to black people especially black males that you cover why oh because in the 19th century uh gender only belonged to a race not bodies Mm. the idea that bodies were gendered is something that didn't happen until the mid-20th century so when you look at ethnologists or even uh, early feminists, their argument was not that they were more feminine uh, because they were women. The argument was we're feminine because we exist in a patriarchal race and the feminine energy counterbalances the male patriarchal energy. Mm. And this is actually part of the statements that you get from people like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony um, when they're arguing for suffrage, because the argument was the male force of, of the dominant white race Uh, is destructive and it takes over and conquers Mm. and it needs harmony which is why you need to rule with the dominant and educated female force of the patriarchal race Uh, these women did not disown patriarchy Mm. they embraced it and said that feminism perfected it Mm -hmm. the difference is is that savage peoples like the negro 
uh, were considered to be feminine, which is why hmm. white feminists and white men both insisted they had the natural right to rule over savage uh, races like black people. So that's an ethnological distinction that existed well into the, the early uh, 20th century, 1920s, 1930s, uh, which is why you have this language of the black of the white man's burden and the white woman's burden. Uh, these, this is you can see that, like you know, it's 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 fascinating to me because all you have to do is like really read what they're saying. Right. This isn't some kind of deep no. you know, philosophical exegesis. Yeah. This is me like quoting the exact words of the people during that period of time. Right. Uh, so there've been other historians that have done this work too. So it just didn't apply to, to the Negro in that way. And not applying a gender to the black male. I, I they've done it with the black female, but it seems there's been a lot of more writings coming from black females where they're able to express themselves through the struggle but yeah. you say that when it comes to black males that gender doesn't apply and when you try to study them in, in in academia why aren't they studied what is it about the black male that doesn't allow for the study of them like we do other genders i guess we're going to stop right here and take a quick break and we'll be right back and what it sounds like Pass Port Wrath I wish black lives mattered to black people Somebody said to me and my reply was that's evil We never had a chance to recover Try progressing and they hold this shit Do a little research on Tulsa, Oklahoma I agree to an extent But Martin's last contemplation was We was on the wrong side of the fence We integrated too fast This abusive relationship that we have Many tried to erase us off of the mapping Visualize the life of a person trying to survive Genetic annihilation they facing upon our risings and patience and in the we crazy, ignore the violence and basically been free for like 50 years out of some thousands Through the eyes of Malcolm, with Rose and Sapphire Colin Kaepernick took a kneel upon his platform and Out here risking careers to relay a message and We still terrorized and viewed as a human second uh, Every time This melody gives me the chills every time Words that I'm writing, I'm meaning every line Stand that I speak for my people every time Every time this melody gives me the chills every time Words that I'm writing, I'm meaning every line Stand and I speak for my people every time Look on this place, we plan our feet on Don't be surprised, you see a teardrop On sunny days, these vibrations I'm sensing More like gray skies and raindrops Sliding down the window of a broken home Generation after generation of the same hopelessness Times I wish that I could make my spirit fly Into the souls of what is it about the black male that doesn't allow for the study of them like we do other genders, I guess? I, I think, I mean, the first thing is that, you know, as I say at the end of the book, you know, there is a prejudicial view. There are biases against black men, mm -hmm. um, biases that we have traced out in attitudes because black men are thought to be more violent than every group in the United States. Mm -hmm. uh, attitudes in terms of job discrimination, where even negative stereotypes about black women being loud or independent or assertive become positive stereotypes if they're competing against black men. Mm -hmm. uh, all these things affect the way that black men as a group are perceived by other you know, faculty members and scholars at universities, as well as in mainstream society. So given that that's the dominant view, that people hate black men, that they fear black men, anyone that comes up with a different story 
about black men and why people feel that way uh, are usually are usually harshly treated. Uh, and when I say harshly treated, what I mean by that is uh, people attack your character. So studying black men is the easiest way to get you called a misogynist wow. or sexist. Yeah. Uh, if you say that black men are not patriarchs, uh, people will say that you're anti-feminist. Mm. If you challenge the idea that black men have privilege or that black men are naturally violent, uh, people will call you a hotep or uh, say that you're anti-woman. So I think that part of the culture of the academy stops people from writing um, or just applying basic sociological theory to the condition of black men. And I think the other part is, is that for many people, including uh, black feminists, and that's not just black women, but that's also black men and women, uh, the question's already settled despite the evidence. So a lot of the evidence on black men suggests that black men are not sexist, that they're not anti-woman, that they're not patriarchal. Uh, Most of the measures for the last 20 or 30 years show that black men fundamentally disagree with the ideas that white men have on masculinity. And in many cases and measures, they far exceed uh, white men, white women, and in many cases, black women on some of their gender progressiveness, as well as their opinions on child care and and progressive programs throughout the society. So that's the problem right there, you're saying, because when we think patriarchy, we think that since they're black males, the same patriarchally that that white males follow, we think that goes with black males. But yes. you said something in your book, and you can if you can break this down, you said we are not studying men when speaking of black males. We are studying negations of white man itself. Exactly. And what I mean by that is that the whole concept of man. And and when I say the whole concept, I literally mean since the 1800s, because one of the first essays actually making that argument that that we're not studying men, we're studying the negations of white man was Frederick Douglass in 1854. Mm. He wrote an essay on um, ethnology, uh, his his views of ethnology during that period of time, where he's saying the white man thinks of himself as man. The black man thinks of himself or told that he's brute. So why is it that when we study the brute, we have to reflect on why white man created the brute to be the white man. Wow. And it's a fascinating yeah. essay, right? Because this is 1854. Like we yeah. don't we don't think we don't think, oh, black men are actually engaging the problem of what we now call gender. Right. But this is Douglas in 1854 explicitly saying, right? And he titles the essay, you know, uh the, the title of the essay deals specifically with ethnology, that the way that we've conceptualized the, the concept of the Negro race, because back then races were measured by their men, mm-hmm. uh, is fundamentally based in the superiority complex of white men. This is crazy. Right? That is, it's, it's right there in front of you. If you just it, it is. It is. And that's what I mean. The, the issue is that we haven't read. You know, and that's and that's what I, I, I think I show through the book is this is not this is not me as a philosopher saying, here's my wild theory. Right, right. I'm saying. Here's the here's the culmination of just reading mm-hmm. and how everything we haven't read fundamentally changes what we have to think about black men. Right. And look at, you know, it's like, look at the evidence, look at the data. Like, why are why have black men historically been more progressive than white women? And this is not debatable. Right. Mm-hmm. Like since they started taking uh, attitudinal surveys, black men have been far less sexist than white women. Mm-hmm. So then how is it that white women get to use their idea of gender vulnerability as women to say that they're somehow vulnerable, progressive, have a standpoint, but black men who have literally been enslaved, been raped, been lynched, been mutilated, been castrated, not have any gender standpoint whatsoever. 
Right. Exactly. Like these things, I'm just saying intuitively, <laughs> you know? No, it's, it, I mean, it's fascinating. As I was reading it, I'm like, I felt like we, as black men, we feel like this all the time. We just didn't know how to articulate that feeling. And this book yeah. does that in such a, 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 an in-depth way. Like when, when you start talking about black male vulnerability, those yes. two words to people is like an oxymoron. Exactly. <laughs> Can you describe what you mean by black male vulnerability? We'll be right back. If you're enjoying Book Speeds and Beyond, do us a favor. Go into the show notes of any episode, click on the iTunes logo to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. So for me, black male vulnerability is, you know, the totality of the conditions that allow anti-black violence, erasure, suffering, fungibility uh, to accumulate around the black male body. Mm. So unlike other gender theories, I'm not arguing that black men have a unique oppression. What I'm saying is black men have a unique position because their bodies in the United States allow certain types of violence to accumulate around them disproportionately more than other groups. Mm. And, and I think that that's important because when we're talking about rape or child sexual abuse or child physical abuse or police killing or rape in the prisons, what we're talking about are how certain bodies, which comprise a population, specifically black men, are allowed to be treated in a certain way because of their dehumanized status. Right. And that's why in the book, by saying that the theoretical position of black men is not one of privilege, but one of dehumanization, mm-hmm. which is why the empirical evidence, which is why the lived experiences of black men don't change the gender theory out there about black men. Right. Because they're not in a position where their humanity pushes back on the stereotypes. Right. Right. And I, I and I think that that as I was reading it, I had to keep in my mind the term man not. Right. Yes. If I if I keep that as the term, I feel like that forces my brain to look at it differently. Right. Exactly. And anyone that understands that because you can't just say um, like if we talk about intersectionality, you have black and you have female, you have white, you have man. But if we say black and man, right now, because of what we think about patriarchy, we're going to think we aspire for power. But if I say exactly. black man not, you're like, what's man not? Then you have to understand that term. And I think that just opens up a whole can of worms in, uh, when it comes to the situation. Exactly. And that's and that's the term of the genre. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the genre term I use for black men, because there's a long history of black male authors, you know, from Frederick Douglass to Clyde Franklin in in the 1980s, saying that black men are not men. That in the United States, I mean, Anthony Lamel writes a whole book on this when he looks at black sexual politics, that black men have never been considered men historically, politically or economically in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. So then my question has always been, and this is, you know, I think you can see the the frustration of this in the first few pages. How is it that white men have masculinity studies where they have all kinds of masculinity, Mm. right? Where, Where people like Messersmith and Connell are debating that poor working class white men are more egalitarian, that they're more friendly to women, that they're more democratically inclined. Right. Then hegemonic masculinity. Mm. But then you go to black men. Right. And and remember, those white men are colonizers. They're studying these white men in Australia. Mm. They're studying them in Europe. These are colonizers and they still have differences in masculinity that 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 don't marry them to patriarchy. Mm. But you go to black men who are descendants of slaves, who are who are descendants of of segregation, who live through Jim Crow, 
who are at the bottom of practically every demographic and their only aspiration for freedom is through white patriarchy. <laughs> right. 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 I mean, just, and that's what I'm saying. Like, even even if someone is suspicious of the data. Right. Right. How can you be suspicious of the logical argument? And, and if you look at the argument from the sake of black femininity, no one ever says that they aspire to be white w- women, which is crazy. So why? You know, all the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, historically, and, and this is what I mean. Right. Like we interpret black women with a kind of compassion and generosity. Mm hmm. So we, we, and I'll, I'll give you a really great example about this. So you know, if I'm sure you've read or heard of uh, Patricia O'Connell's yeah. Black Feminist Thought, right? Yeah. Huge yeah. book, huge book. So that book comes out in 1989, right? And through from 1989 going backwards to let's say the 1980s, if you look at the conditions of Black women, you see much higher rates of violence, child abuse, et cetera, of Black women compared to white women, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if you look at things like domestic violence. But none of that makes it into the book, mm. right? What what she focuses on, she actually says poor black women are intersectional because they have both the Afrocentric concept of the, of the black community and the Marxist concept of political economy. Mm. So they can see the blackness and the class position given their position as black women, right? Mm-hmm. That book doesn't say, well, black women, something's pathologically wrong with black women because they disproportionately abuse their children. Right. It doesn't say that they have a culture of felon because they disproportionately get arrested for drug offenses. It doesn't say that they're dis- that they're violent even because they have disproportionate rates of intimate partner homicide. In the, during this period of time, they were actually killing more black men than black men were killing black women. If you look at the FBI supplements on domestic violence, wow. none of that is frame is used to frame how we should interpret black women. Right. And I'm not saying that it should be. No. But what I'm saying is, so when you look at poor black women, they have a rich epistemic grounding of how they view liberation, mm-hmm. despite their disproportionate rates of violence. But when you look at black men during the same time period, their disproportionate rates of violence to white men become the token and badge of what they are. We'll be right back. See, cause you've never been the same as anyone else. Don't think the same as everyone else. You're in your See, you'll never conclude with anyone else. Don't think the same as everyone else. I had everything, everything. I could change anything. If I changed anything, I mean anything. I would change everything. Oh, yeah. Dark boy, don't you cry There's too much life left in those eyes Don't you let that face go waterfall Don't you learn to love you, scars and all Dark boy, don't you die They're just human, let them lie You just know your world and speak your truth Let them come to you for your love And your Never been the same as anyone else Don't think the same as everyone else It is your call There are no wrongs See, you'll never conclude with anyone else Don't think the same as everyone else
my hand everything everything i could change anything i could change anything if i changed anything i mean anything i would change everything oh yeah when the media slings mud we use it to build huts irrefutable facts merciful beautiful black beloved brother you fail to embarrass them harassing them to my life your life pales in comparison so go write whatever blog messiness is not ever the god do what's necessary i'm never worried listen vultures i've been shackled by western culture you convinced most of my people to live off emotion that's why we competing death by the chrome barrel forgot the secrets my killer been gerald bone marrow's the deepest you can peep at the comments but don't fall for that we want freedom i'm a so why isn't black male truly studied for what he actually is? What what is academia afraid of? I think I think it's the same thing that that the Western society has always been afraid of. Uh, patriarchy's fear racialized men, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this work has been been done by historians, and I think um, Jim Sedanius's work on social dominance uh, shows that that's the case today. And I think that the academy, being a reflection of society, is very aware that black men who have always reacted against colonialism, imperialism, and patriarchy um, would ultimately spell its doom. Mm. Uh, there's not there's not a moment in history where black men have not been framed as the destroyers of Western civilization. Right. And I think the academy sees that because the position of black men refutes everything we think like the presence uh, actually studying black men ruptures gender it ruptures democracy uh, it ruptures capitalism right wow because if we study if we study black men then it, it shows us that there's a history of homoeroticism where white men rape black men mm-hmm. it shows that the idea of white female vulnerability and feminism was never about freedom but the expansion of imperialism and the domination of racialized men the world over. Mm. It shows that democracy is false because you have to create bottom-level people, and those bottom-level people happen to usually be racialized males. Wow. Right? It, yeah. Every narrative that we have, every theory in, that we have in the university and the academy would falter if you start studying black men. Wow. Feminism falters. Liberalism falters. Right. Because yeah. black men are the group that's basically still in neo, uh, suffering from a kind of neo-slavery. Wow. They comprise the largest group by rate of the prison industrial complex. They have the lowest life expectancy. You see, because if you look at black men, basically it says that the illusions that you have of civilization are just that. Illusions. And they're delu- they're not just illusions. They're delusions. Delusions. Yeah. Right. Wow. And and I think that that unsettles a lot of the academy, which is why. There's all these mental gymnastics invested, you know, in gender theory to somehow prove that black men are these powerful, violent, wretches, wretches that 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 abuse women. When you look out in the world, even by population, that's not true. Yeah. Like, how could white women say that black men oppress them? Mm-hmm. Give it give just given their demographic and numerical superiority. Right. Right. right? Like even the academy, there's six hundred twenty thousand white women. There's 47,000 black men. Hmm. How do black men oppress white women? Right. And 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 right? And, and talk and talk talk about that. Like we all understand when it comes to white males the oppression and how that can affect black males and so forth. But you talk about white women and their oppression on black men and black oh, males. Yes. And 
I mean, how, how does that, how would you describe that to somebody to make them open their eyes <laughs> that this is possible? Well, I don't know. How, I don't know how you describe it. <laughs> you just, yeah. It's, it's, I, let me say this. I think that some of the most of, I think what many people or what many feminists react to in the book is this idea of making white women present. Mm. Um, because I think the way that we're taught to think of racism is to absolve white women mm. of, a, of oppression. It's huh. to suggest that, oh, things were bad and they were women of their time, so they were racist, but that didn't include violence. Ah, wow, I, think, I see. Wow. And I think one of the things that you have to show people, as I do throughout the book, is that white women were integral to the maintenance of domestic slavery, right? right. They were the ones in charge of assigning duties and chores to slaves, that right. they had the most intimate contact, so it made them the, you know, it put them in prime positions to rape young men and boys. And lynchings. You know? I mean, didn't they have to have picnics? Like, who's putting this together? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, I think that you have to open up with the historical fact, and then you have to ask yourself, why has this been hidden? Yes. Right. Why? Why yeah. has, you know, because this, because we, and, and here's the, here's the funny thing. When you read white women historians, they're more than honest about this stuff. I mean, like you could look at Nancy McLean or Kathleen Blee or Louise Newman's work, uh, Alice Snyder, like white women historians are all like, yeah, white women are just horrible people historically. Mm. But theoretically, nobody wants to interpret white women that way. Huh. So then I read black men and I see I found Archibald Grimke's piece where he's like, so we will just accept that all these white men are raping black women. And we don't think one out of one thousand white women are raping, black, you know, yeah. and, and this is, this, you know, he said this in 1913. Right. So he's, you know, and, and I remember I went to the Netherlands to present this work and um, a woman, a, a woman in the audience said, well, don't you think that the reason that black men are that men are. Um, afraid of talking about histories of rape is because of homophobia. And I said, no, I was like, what are you talking about? I've just read you all these passages from like Grimke and, you know, from uh, James's, you know, autobiography as a slave. Cognitive uh, dissidence, huh? Yeah. I was like, so I was like, why are they talking about it? Like, yeah. there's, you know, uh, Stewart's, um, James Stewart's autobiography is talking about how he was butt naked and bent over forward mm. because he couldn't get a fire started. Mm. I was like, that's why, why is he telling us this? Right. right. Why is he telling us that his head is between his, his legs and his buttocks is face towards his master? Mm. Right. What what is it? You know, and that's what I mean. Like, this is what I mean by the culture of dismissal when yeah. you look at, you know, black male vulnerability is that I'm literally giving you stories and testaments of black men saying I was victim. I was victimized. I was raped from enslaved people, people in, in segregation. And your argument is homophobia. <laughs> right. So, so 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 in the book, you kind of talk about the racist sexualization of black males in America. Yes. What do you mean by the sexualization of black males? Well, I, that's that's a great question. I'm actually uh, published a new article on this that I'm calling Phallicism. Mm. So here's what I mean. For black men, they can be both raped and the rapist. Huh. And, wow. <laughs> right. And I call that phallicism because you can what you see in every culture of racial domination. And I mean, like the Armenian genocide I mean, you know, the perils at the turn of the century, like the yellow peril with Asians. Um, when you look at the Holocaust, you always see dominant patriarchal groups come in and say the racialized group is lesser is a lesser kind of man. Right. They're effeminate or effect. And then simultaneously, as they're being called lesser men, you see both that group being raped 
by men and women of the dominant racial group. Hmm. And you also have them being constructed as the rapists. Hmm. And in every case study I found in the 20th century, that is the case. Why is that the case? If you if you can get deep, why? I don't know. That's what I'm that's what I'm figuring out. Right. Now. I yeah. mean, I'm trying to because there seems to be something about European cultures that want to because they're patriarchal, mm-hmm. want to establish superior maleness, but use homoeroticism as well as the construction of hypersexuality to mm. do so. Mm. And this just seems to be the way they work because they work this way even in genocidal regimes. Right. And that doesn't make sense because or theoretically it doesn't make sense because the, the dominant view of genocidal regimes is that they try to kill men and boys between the ages of 15 and 55 first so that because those are the groups that usually fight back against mm-hmm. genocide, right? Those are going to be the ones that are most capable of, of, um, of, of forming resistance. Mm-hmm. So then to say that not only does genocide or you know, racially repressive regimes function to eliminate men or men first, they also eroticize them. That's something that theory just has not caught up with because the only thing that we have is psychoanalysis, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, well, they just desire X and in that desire they can make these men into, you know, love toys or they can make them into, you know, feminine boys or whatever. You know, there's tons of theories out there, mm-hmm. but there's no but there's nobody actually accounting for why this has happened repetitively throughout history. Because you, you kind of talk about how white masculinity and its dependency on violence, rape and murder of the black male. Mm-hmm. Can you can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, so it kind of goes in line with with that brief history. You know, black men came to the United States as slaves. Mm-hmm. So, and this is you know, in the book I actually say this. You know, there's all kind of accounts of of the British raping you know native men throughout the colonies that they established around the world. Right. Uh, black men are no different in that regard. So, how do you subjugate a population? You know, and I think that that's what it comes down to. Like, what is the fear that white people constantly perform in the United States? Mm-hmm. And that fear for the last two or three hundred years has been that they would be outpopulated right. by other groups of men. And I think we see this happening, you know, right now. You know, when I talk in the book about racial endogamy, that's what I mean, that they're fearful that other group of men are going to impregnate their women and take away their culture. Uh, uh, this was something yeah. that white feminists were, you know, um, Bell Kearney actually made a speech uh, after, you know, 1870s, 1880s, where she said, look, you know, we got to make sure that the Negro vote doesn't allow him out in the public, because if he starts mating with white women, he'll destroy our Anglo-Saxonism. So this has always been a longstanding fear um, throughout America by white men and white women. So whenever we we see lynching, it's like one of the main things was just a castration. So it's like that deep seated you can change the culture just by interacting with my woman <laughs> right exactly exactly and that but i mean look that's the logic and that's what i mean is that look at what we look at what we do mm-hmm. you can look at history and you can read these segregations and mm-hmm. these segregations are not apologetic mm-hmm. they're saying listen we want to keep the negro in his place is to keep the negro man in his place mm-hmm. you know you have dollar in 1939 saying that the the whole point of the caste system in the south is to keep the negro male from the white female right, right? and allow but by simultaneously allowing the white man sexual access what he called sexual gain uh, with with the negro woman wow. you know you can read this at the turn of the century with the perils that we set up systems of of jim crow because we don't want any racialized men be they asian black muslim etc interacting with white women and threatening our civilization these are long-standing facts mm. that you get from practically racist for a hundred years mm. 
But then you fast forward to the 21st century and we have to pretend that racism's generic and <laughs> right. it didn't have a particular male character. <laughs> and, right. and that's what I and this is this is the part of intersectionality that I think is ridiculous. Women do not suffer racism the same way that men do, mm-hmm. because the ideas of patriarchy have explicitly stated time and time again that the largest fear that the white republic has is being outpopulated by racialized men or right. alien men. Right. They used to call them alien men back then, mm. right? Um, and for us to deny that, right, somehow puts black men in this weird vacuum because it says, oh, and this is and this is what I find theory does. Oh, let's take in all the death that black men suffer and call that race. So all black people are subject to death. Wow. But then the gender discrimination will reserve that for women. So, so that means that it makes black men generic. And then makes black women particular. So if you study black women, allegedly you get the fullness of the experience. Whereas if you study black men, you don't get a gender analysis. Wow. So you're saying when we study black men, we only study their death as the foundation. We don't really go into their lives. Absolutely. Mm. Because we have no need to. Right. We we use black men's deaths as placeholders. in theory. Mm. Wow. So if you want to say think about it, think about it. If we want to say how bad racism is, do we ever point to black women? No, no. We talk about how many black men are in car, how many black people right are incarcerated, right. how many black people get killed, how many black people are uneducated. Right. But when you get past the black people, those are all black men, exactly. practically. Yeah. So yeah. so black men become become the generic placeholder of what we mean by race or racism. Right. And we need that because if you start talking, because if you start breaking down black women, then their outcomes are much better. Right. Mm-hmm. Then then black men. And in some cases, you know, white, poor white men in terms of health outcomes mm-hmm. are, are, are mortality. Mm-hmm. Right. So you need you need black men to kind of, you know, anchor down the impacts, and the consequences of racism. So why do you but think- then when you start talking about body? Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, um, no. Go, go ahead. When I'm you sorry. start talking about bodies. Right. Then you want but then you want all theory to be around black women because then you're like, oh, but look at the additional experience of sexism. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back. They tried to take my power, instead they made a monster Beast mode, beast mode My whole empire black like Lucius We gon' retire Mansa Musa They mutinies made a mutant Theories of evolution Adversities made me Hercules We gotta be superhuman To deal with what they doing They don't know what they doing With future poems and future songs We keep that metro booming They treat me, they treat me like I'm an export They sell me off to jail They sit me off the wall They don't treat me like a man Unless I'm playing sports Unless I wear they jersey Unless I wear they shorts They talk about my mama They talk about my cuz They talk about my sister They talk about my bros That make me wanna get that Get that gun in and pull it And pull that trigger back in And make that shit go brutal If you take the fist of a fighter, the brain of a scholar, the heart of a lion, and put it with some animosity, this is what you get. 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 Black Frankenstein. 
gonna need an army just to bring me down hey, hey. You need a team of officers to beat me down hey, hey. I'm just a man, a human being, my blood is red hey, hey. But when I walk around, I'm like the living dead hey, To you, hey. I'm just a man that God created Genesis hey. Hey, I'm not the Frankenstein that made experiments hey, Not a guinea pig, hey, not a hey, chemistry trick hey, I'm just a son, a father, brother, husband, cousin, lover Something other than the thug they wanna make me out to be Black man and I'm proud to be You can never beat it out of me Shoot your gun, it's so cowardly It's proof they want me in the ground with me Deuces know we run it out of peace They abuse the power with the policies Choose the war that it's about to be They talk about my music They talk about my speech They talk about my clothes They talk about my dreams That make me wanna get that Get that cat and then pull it And pull that trigger back it And get this shit to cracking Now if you take the fist of a fighter The brain of a scholar The heart of a lion And put it with some animosity This is what you get As I was reading this book, I can see how people can create tension. I, I, I understand your book. It's not trying to compete against feminism, black feminism, whatever. No. It's not. It's saying that there needs to be a focus on us just like it is with the others. But I just want to understand, why do you think, and I've always saw this, why do you think that the black female is allowed to kind of progress more in our society versus the black male? Um I mean, some of us do, but I, I'm just seeing that as I go in the workforce, I see more black females, which I think is great. But why is the black male not there as well? Well, because that's the again, this is this is the adjustment that we have to think about through the through the book. Mm -hmm. If we if we assume that patriarchy is meant to subjugate and kill racialized men, it makes perfect sense. Right. that Racialized men can't get jobs that they have that they have the lowest life expectancy. And that they're and they're disproportionately subject to incarceration mm -hmm. because the whole point of a capitalist patriarchal society is going to be to eliminate those group of men from any kind of social sustenance, which would be labor or income, uh, social political thought like rights, voting, and of course their ability to be represented positively in the society. <laughs> so what what is what is your call to action to? black intellectuals um, also just black people in general when it comes to recognizing the black male and and, and even further wh what about white academia and white people who consider themselves anti-racist what what should be the call to action around the study of the black male uh stop lying <laughs> i mean if we're, if we, if we're just gonna be like i, I guess i mean because let me put it this way so if, if you if you if you you know forgive me for a moment um the, the second book that I'm working on now, mm -hmm. yeah. um, Mismeasures of Man, actually is going to demonstrate that the very notions that you get of gender. So like the idea of a woman as a minority group or woman, women as being oppressed by patriarchy mm -hmm. doesn't come from the experiences of women. It comes from from black men. Mm. So there are a series of articles from starting in like 1944 with Alva Murdoch's piece. Um, Helen Hacker's work in social forces in 1951, um, Simone de Beauvoir's reading our understanding of Richard Wright, you know, and they, the list goes on and on and on, right? Uh, where white women are saying we're oppressed like black men are oppressed. Wow. Oh, okay. Now, now I want you to think about that. So remember the first, <laughs> the first chapter of my book says what? That when you start looking at gender in the 19th century, it doesn't exist because the, the idea of woman meant home or nation, mm. right? Like, 
that's what woman or it meant home nation or mother right mm-hmm. uh so when you try to separate white women from the home and there's actually an essay in 19 in the 1970s that actually says this is exactly what we should do that we need to get we need to understand the woman as a separate unit of an unit of analysis from the family so even into the late 20th century you still have sociologists trying to make this argument so before that period of time we have to say there was at least a tension or a conflation between what women were as mothers and in and, and the home than what they were as women as an oppressed group and category. Wow. If black men were the basis of that, because and this is Myrtle's argument, because she names the title of her essay, A Parallel Problem to the Negro Problem. If black men were the template for how white women understood themselves as victims of patriarchy, uh, how yeah. is it possible that black men do not suffer from the same kind of patriarchy? that white women use them for to express their own oppression. Wow. Yeah. That and makes, that's what yeah. I mean when that's what I mean when I say stop lying. If how do you use black men as the basis for how you understand how patriarchy works in a in a dominant capitalistic society? Right. That you there's literally a chart. In Hacker's article, there's a chart. It's a chart that says the Negro, white woman. And she goes side by side. Does the Negro suffer this? Yes. Does the white woman suffer this? Yes. It is that it is that obvious to hmm. anybody who picks up or just reads these texts. Mm-hmm. So then how does the black man get used as the basis for white women as a minority group? Then intersectionality comes about when you're focused on women as a minority group and you say, oh, well, men don't have to deal with that kind of status hmm. because they're not women. They don't deal with patriarchy. They don't deal with sexism. And this with is 20 years earlier. They were the basis of your definition of sexism. Right. And this if you and just you saying that I, it just had flashes in my head of like Emmett Till or or the things Absolutely. that was started the Tulsa race riot. It was white women screaming out that a black male was about to rape them or something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And what is and, and this is dollars work. How does the patriarchal class respond? Mm-hmm. Right. Because dollar dollar writes that the way that, you know, the Negro male is not patriarchal. Is because there are only two things, and this he literally says this because he interviews segregationists in the South. He says there are two things that make white people respond with the most virulent kinds of violence. Hmm. The first is if a black man rapes a white woman. Hmm. The second is if a black man doesn't stay in his place. Huh. Wow. Yeah. He says that in the mind of whites, those two things are equal. Hmm. And now, I mean, now, yeah. No, but I mean, but this, you see, this one. Yeah. Saying. So, so think about what that means for all the experiences that black men have. Absolutely. Every time a black man, you know, I mean, I work at a place where an administrator, uh, a high level administrator, flat out told me that my problem is that I think too much of myself. <laughs> right really? now, this is too. This is this is the twenty first century. Wow. And you have college administrators, right, wow. saying that you know Curry. You know, Curry, you sold all these books, you've done all this, you get all these awards, but you think the problem a lot she she said a lot of a lot of people think you think too highly of You're yourself. not in your place. I'm not in my place. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now now given what I study, right, we know that's a form of anti black misandry. Right. Because we know that the way that her brain is processing anything that I say or do is that this this basically this Negro has too much self esteem and doesn't bow to white people because mm-hmm. I'm in a I'm in a conservative university. Mm-hmm. My my whole department for, for during this period of time was all white, right? So how does this how is this signifying off of what she sees in my on my personality and reads off my body? Mm-hmm. Right? Wow, you can never and so think about all the experiences of the young black boys who reject school, who right. reject authority, who disengage from work, right. who disengage from society. Right, right. This is not apathy. This is the effect of this kind of trauma. 
Right. That you still have a certain logics in the society, and think about, it, and then and then you tell people about this, and nobody believes you. Mm-hmm. You say that there is an experience of being a black man that black women don't understand. So that what the society's not recognized. So what does the academy do about people around like Malcolm X or Huey P who are expressing? No, they, don't study. <laughs> they don't study they. Malcolm Malcolm X is a patriarch, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like this is this is what I'm saying. Yeah, they see Malcolm that X angle. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's a nationalist. So nobody really studies him seriously. You may have him as a counterpart to King, mm-hmm. but overwhelmingly, the consensus is that King was right and Malcolm was wrong, mm-hmm. right? Huey P. Newton has a PhD, and nobody reads Newton. <laughs> I mean, I teach Newton in my classes. You know, I we read Revolutionary Suicide, wow, yeah, and uh, his essay on Fear and Doubt. Mm-hmm. But overwhelmingly, nobody engages Newton. Because he was part of the Black Panther Party, so he was a rapist, too. <laughs> Nobody reads Cleaver because Cleaver was actually convicted of rape. Yeah. So all of his analyses, mm-hmm. you know, that I write about in Chapter 2 in the Lost, uh, in the lost Manuscript that he had, mm-hmm. nobody cares about that because he's a rapist and a patriarch. Wow. So everything, and this is what I'm saying, everything that you deal with black men in the academy becomes reduced down to they were patriarchal if they're not explicitly pro-feminist you know what as i was reading this book it it, it this kind of this kind of digresses but it's still on, on topic as i was reading your book i thought about the nfl with colin kaepernick and how the men in the nfl is just hyper masculine right how can you dishonor this country and say that you are vulnerable what are you mm-hmm. talking about this doesn't make yeah. any sense right <laughs> stay in your you're place brute. you're a brute this mm-hmm. is this is douglas's argument you're a brute. You're not a man. Hmm. But the, is, but that is, right there is the vulnerability. But like I said, is. black male vulnerability in people's mind just throws their mind into whack. How can you be vulnerable? As yeah, a- actually, I, I take it a step farther. How is it that when black men in this country protest their own oppression, yeah. they either lose their, lose their lives or their jobs, right. but every other group is able to benefit and make their careers either after the over the death of black men or killing black men? Wow. Wow. Because and yeah. I'm, I'm vastly serious about this. Yeah, no. I'm definitely serious about this. When you look at what's happened to Colin Kaepernick, he kneeled. Right. And his career was taken away. Right. You look at the women that founded Black Lives Matter. Yeah. They got they got speaking tours. They've won national awards. Right. They right. I think they got like a, a peace prize or something. Right. Right. And they've made their careers off of the death of black men. At the same time, saying that black men shall not lead the organization that's supposedly about supposedly about their own deaths. Wow. So if I'm hearing you correctly, black academia or just academia in general studies black male death and they and that's how they some some profit off of that. Even if they don't even know they do, they do. And at the same time, even organizations out there that um are trying to make change still black male death is the underline but no Absolutely. one really wants to truly put black male in the front and Absolutely. and study that Absolutely and I was I was on a panel a few years ago with someone from Black Lives Matter Canada where my where my research paper was on the rape of black men by police. So what I was saying is that, look, you, you focus on the death aspect, but you don't focus on sexual vulnerability because a lot of these men are, are sexually harassed. Yeah. And not flat out raped. And I just started listing cases of black men that have been raped by cops. Right. And the response from the young lady who was, you know, part of BLM was like, well, I'm just upset because you're talking about black men. 
And I said, and, and this was my question. And this is what I'm saying. I was like, so I was like, so and she was like, you know, because I gave all the numbers and everything. And she's like, well, sometimes those numbers don't take into account sexual orientation. I was like, and neither do the cops. Right. right? This is I was like, you're, you're, you're making an argument. I was like, notice what you're doing. You're supposed to be a leader of a movement. Mm. And then when I'm saying that the greatest victims of your movement also experience an additional trauma that you don't know about, your response is we shouldn't talk about those victims of our movement. My goodness. I was like, so then how, how, and I, and I said, honestly, I was like, if you take away black men from police killing, you're dealing with 20 people, 30 people a year. At <laughs> right. most. Yeah. At yeah. most. And I'm being extremely generous with the numbers, like just based on what, and of course this is recorded data. So, but if you're, but if you take away black men, your numbers drop to under 30, mm. if not certainly under 40. Mm. And that's including, you know, trans, you know, gay and, and black women. Wow. Cause there's not enough killed in a given year to actually move the needle on anything. Right. Right. Like there was a study that everybody was talking about um, coming out of Missouri. I forgot the name of the guy that did it, but basically, you know, it's the, it was the, it was the piece that blew up for a second that said unarmed black women are more likely to be killed. Wow. No. You know, by cops. Yeah. Okay. The problem with his study though, was that when he looked at it, he didn't have enough black women <laughs> to make the analysis. <laughs> oh my goodness. So what he did, what he did is he, he calculated, he just, he eliminated gender calculated races. He saw when he put black women in, it increased the rate or the risk of unarmed black people being shot. Wow. So he surmised that from that, because unarmed people become more likely, he added black women, then that's what increased or made the difference between the comparison between black men and white men. Right. Wow. So, I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, he's very explicit about this in his methods. He's like, not enough black women were killed for us to actually do a separate study. So here's what we did. Here's how we got to this conclusion. Mm -hmm. So, what is is one of those things like? Well, what are we arguing about? If there's not enough black women being killed, you know, to even make that kind of argument or statistical comparison, why are we trying to have a comparison between the 292 black men that are shot every year right. and the nine, twenty, twelve? Depends what year you look at, of course. But the much smaller, you know, proportion of, of black women. Right. And that's not to erase them, because of course the gender politics of the day would say, "Oh, well, Curry's trying to erase those victims." I'm not doing that. I'm asking a very simple question, which is, how do you see these overwhelming numbers of disparity between male, black male victims and black women victims? And then somehow, despite all that, it still comes out to say that we have to focus on black women victims because somehow black men have all the attention, all the power, wow, all the recognition. They see the our patriarchy as white patriarchy. Exactly. Wow. So, so even in death, we're more patriarchal because we get too much recognition for dying. <laughs> it's, it's nonsense. These are it's, theories. These are, it, these are theories that make no sense. None, none. Right? Like who, what oppressed group in history has competed with each other over who dies more? Right. Gosh. And this is, and this is where we are, right? The, the, the name of that theory is actually intersectional visibility. You know, I write about it in chapter five, but, but like, why, why are we, you know, to, for someone to write an article, that would suggest that black men are killed more in a patriarchal society because it concedes social dominance, right? Mm -hmm. And then and then tries to flip it. So where social dominance says black men are killed more in a patriarchal society because racialized men are the target of lethal violence, and that shows their disadvantage and their oppression. Intersectional invisibility theories say no, that's not their oppression, that's their privilege. That's their so privilege. Yeah, so that so that's what the 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 um the Purdy Hughes and Ibach article in 2008 actually argues that look social dominance theory has an overwhelming amount of evidence that does show that racialized men are targeted more than racialized women in patriarchal societies they say that's oppression we we and they say they're very explicit about this 
we reinterpret that as privilege. So the reason that patriarchal societies kill racialized men is because they value men over women. And that's a form of androcentrism, which wow. is patriarchal privilege. Wow. And this is this is the again, in and, and in the book, this is why I say these are these are analytic gymnastics. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was like, because it was what stops us from saying because you see the same thing in genocide. Genocides wipe wipe out men first. Right. So are the victims of genocide patriarchally privileged? Do are they are they are they dying first because of male privilege? This is nonsense. We yeah. would never say this about any other group of people. We wouldn't say that the Jewish men that were killed, you know, during the Holocaust had privilege be, to be killed by the Nazis first. I mean, that's we scary what you're that. what you're saying now is so is so mind-boggling. Uh, and but I, I I truly understand it. All the theories around, like you said, genocide and so forth. So right now, because we are not being studied correctly in our actuality, we're going through a slow genocide, and this is yeah. because of the of of the narrative of the black male. Yeah, are are we certainly we're certainly in the first we're we're certainly in the stages of, of mass dehumanization, which allows us to be more disposable it's a kind of genocidal logic right we're, i mean i think you could certainly make the argument there yeah right you know if we're if we're if we're splitting hairs about what genocides actually are yeah. i certainly think you can right. say that we're, we're in the stage of dehumanization which is a genocidal logic yes which usually precedes mass murder but you know my, my question always is how do we not see this because hmm. the, the very people in the academy who say black men have privilege exist in a world where there are no black men exactly uh, right like <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like it's like all the like you know like black women outnumber black men by like 30 30 or 35,000 in the academy right you know and that's not even like, just on the uh, at the at the at the uh, teacher level that's even at the student level right well that's what I was about to say okay. yeah, even yeah. at students you know I mean as students black men have always been behind black women mm-hmm. you know I mean and I'm not what I'm saying always I mean since they start measuring this like in the 70s mm-hmm. Black women outnumber black men in, in undergraduate and graduate education. You know what I always so, looked at it as, and you can yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but um, during slavery, when they will make an example, they will take the black male in front of everybody. It could be the black female as well. They did some cruel things to them, but um, they would break the black male in front of everybody. So when the female's kids saw that, then they would uh, look at the the oppressor as someone of a higher standard, right? Yeah. And I'm looking at yeah, that with I'm, the world when it comes to corporate yeah. America. Like the reason why more black females are going into there, not saying they 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 they're not working hard to do it and break down these walls, but at the same time, I look at it as if they make it up there and then they have a child, that child will probably see the person who's really in charge as something more dominant i don't know if that's making any sense no it makes perfect sense in fact there's a whole there's a whole genre of study um from the 1920s to the 1960s based on that exact argument Mm. that is that is that what you just said is the basis of the matriarchal thesis Mm. in black culture that black women had more economic power more employment hence they were more um had higher status uh in at least in the eyes of the child as decision makers Mm. than black men did Mm mm-hmm you know, so that's what I'm saying. Like this stuff exists. This stuff is well documented. The question is, why? Why do we pretend that it doesn't? Why? Yeah. Like, we're not. We're not reading Monahan. Hmm. We're not seriously reading Monahan. What we're doing is we're saying, oh, Monahan blamed black women, and that's partially true. He did blame the matriarchal structure of black women and, and single mother households as part of the cultural downfall 
of the black race. Mm. But what we leave out of the Monaghan report, which he's very explicit about, is that that's because black women have a will to succeed. They want to be educated. They want to move to economic, um, you know, the economic structures and stages and classes of society. Black men don't. Mm. Black men are lazy. Black <laughs> men are idle. Black men are not intelligent. Mm-mm-mm. Black men are deviant. Like this is all in the Monaghan report. Mm. Right. Black men are dangerous. So it and, and it's, you know, again, in the second book, this is what I'm, I'm writing a section called rereading Monaghan. But, you know, I'm, I'm always puzzled by this. Like people people act like somehow things were said about black women that were sexist and misogynistic, but nothing was said about black men. Yeah. And if something was said about black men, that's racism. That's not gender. Right. I just don't so think how call- people can even just if I just say lynching, if I just say lynching, if you really study a lynching and what happened to the black male body, how is that not right. rape? How can that's, you that's how can I you wanna- deny that? He was anally penetrated. His eyes were gouged. Part and limbs of his body cut off. His penis was cut off, sometimes saved as 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 jewelry. Right. If you look, at, if you're looking at Wooders' work, you know sometimes these black men's bodies were boiled mm. into greases or elixirs, My consumed, goodness. right? Like, I mean, it's, I mean, think of, this is what I'm saying. Like, how is it that all this horror exists and people are writing about it, but this does not affect our theory? Does not affect our theories. Wow. It does not affect our theory. So we, so even even the fact that that black men were the basis of how white women created the minority group category. Right. What makes white women a minority was based on them saying how closely aligned they were to the Negro condition, specifically the black male condition. And we pay no attention to that. Hmm. And we we, so that that debate's happening up to the 1970s. We passed Title seven and 10 years later, we say the black men are patriarchs. Hmm. Wow. This makes me think when it comes to. you know, this country, white male was dominant, but then the white female was always trying to fight for that her position as well voting and so forth right so to say that the black male is more privileged are they are they saying that if a black male is the same as a white male and he was allowed to vote in a sense how does that affect the white female in a sense oh so oh so these suffrages were not playing Mm. so these these white women here's what these white women argue Right. Um, Because this is actually a chapter that I've actually finished for the second book. So these white women during suffrage uh, were arguing that if you give black men the right to vote before them, that the lower level of manhood. So the racialized manhood, the brutish manhood of black men would destroy white civilization because they would rape white women. They would get to decide. No, and they say this plainly. Like I can get I can send you the PDFs of the revolution. (laughs) You, You can read this yourself. They They would rape white women. They would make decisions as a lesser group, right? They, like they actually say this as a lesser group of men. They would make decisions for for white women who are much more refined, evolved, and educated, wow. right? Mm. Than they were. And here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. Um, Phoebe Cousins actually makes this statement uh, in the second volume of History of Suffrage. She says, "Listen, I've observed the Negro, and and black women are much more intelligent, and be- as a class, they're better off. But black men are brutish." <laughs> She says that they've learned from the slave master all his tools of brutality, and that should never be empowered with the right of the vote wow. in the United States. So, and this is, you see, and this is what's fascinating to me. 
when you read, you know, like I was saying earlier, when you read people like Bell Hooks or Beverly Guys of Tall, yeah. their analysis of what black men thought largely come from white historians. Mm. Right. There's actually during this period of time, there's not much research in all fairness. Right. Mm. So during the period of time they're writing this, which is the, the mid to early 80s, um, there's not much research out on what black people actually thought during these periods of time. So that that you, I have to you have to take that with a grain yeah. of salt. But on the other hand, on the other hand, Beverly Guy Shaftal, for example, knew of Rosalind Turgborg Penn's work, who was a black female historian who actually wrote her dissertation in 1977 or 1978 on black people during, you know, black people during the suffrage movement. And what she was saying was that when you look at white women and how they treated black people, white women actually kicked black women out of the suffrage movement through a movement called educated suffrage. Only people who were educated that could read and write should be able wow. to vote. And she says that what black men did was rally around black women and fight this movement because you can find the earliest notations are you can the appeals of this rhetoric um, in the 1880s and they they sided with black women and fought for black women to have suffrage. Mm. Now, mind you, this 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 understanding is vastly different than what we have now of voting. Voting was not about equality, and this is what happened. This is how feminists and liberals get to play this neat little trick on us. They look at voting as an expansion of liberal rights, that this was something that every person should have the natural born right to do. But the debates in the 1800s about voting were not about equality. And you can see this even if you read the suffrages. It was about the right to self-determine. Mm. The argument was who was evolved enough to rule over others. God. And that's the argument that white women are having. They're saying because we're white and because we're not Negroes, we have the right, the natural right to rule over them. We are more evolved. And because you said how the woman, womanhood was looked at back then, that was the home, that was the foundation. Exactly. Why would you destroy that? That is, ex and that is exactly what they are. Mm. What will happen to the white home? What will happen to the concept of white womanhood if these, you know, and, and you know, uh, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton has this thing where she's talking about hung tongue, sambo. If these, you know, all these racist caricatures of, of racialized men, if these people make more laws than, you know, the, the Linda Childs and, you know, the great women of the white race. Like yeah. this is the arguments they're having. They're not saying that we're oppressed and equal. They're saying if you give the Negro, which is a savage and brutish being, yeah. the right to vote. He's going to destroy our civilization. Mm -hmm. So give it to white women. And as Bell Kearney says, if you enfranchise white women, it settles the Negro question. You can rule over him, and she's specific to him, without, with, with, to, to, um, you know, unchecked. Yeah. I you know, with, with no obstacle. <laughs> we'll be right back. I shine as bright as the moon, skin as black as the night time, they're killing the you, slipping away at the lifeline, part of me, if a part of me, just can't let it go, they told me when I was 12, my people that came and rose, 12.5 million ship to the new world, 10.4, probably really made it to the new world, 16, 19, mark in my history, cotton picking, no, God giving, what was meant for me, I don't want your reparations, save it, I see children in the street, shot dead on the pavement, blood overboard, bubbling, Boy, you got a fight for us, so let's get the rumbling I can see the boards on the White House tumbling Kicking down the doors on the motherfucking government Wait, reload, reload, gotta take that, we know, we know Telling I'm a liar, you 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 know Wanna know 
know why you can throw a whole race of males off Huh? Bill Clinton gave us through jail laws First and minor offenders go down like bloody murder Now statistics telling the children something that should be unheard of In America, I can't be no child But educating, shout that real nigga If you're enjoying Book Speaks and Beyond, do us a favor. Go into the show notes of any episode, click on the iTunes logo to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. I think the craziest thing about studying history, um, and this is not all people, I don't like like to generalize, but it seems like when we would talk about white people and how they would say the black people are savages, black men are savages, It's almost like a projection of themselves. Like oh, absolutely. everything you're saying is what you're doing now. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's just mind-boggling how that flies over people's heads. Well, I mean, the black men, but you know, black men like David Walker were writing about this in the appeal. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he was writing about this in the eighteen late eighteen twenties, eighteen thirties. You know, this is what this is what Douglas says in eighteen fifty four. This is what Delaney says. You know, black people, especially black men, have had this pessimistic orientation towards the world. Um, precisely because of their location in it. Hmm. And I think that one of the, you know, I, I ran across a study from 1929, and it, it asked this question, is the Negro happy? That's the title of the article, right? <laughs> and, um, and here's here's what it says. Here's, here's what the findings of the article was. The article suggested that black men were extremely pessimistic about their life chances. Yeah. And black women were not, that they were more optimistic. Wow. Okay? Okay. And and I found it fat because this is 1929, so, and I found it fascinating because it suggests the, the authors conclude that well, black women are delusional. Right? Delusional. <laughs> they, they said the black women are delusional because they said that their social status and racial caste seems to not make a difference in terms of what they see the possibilities of social mobility being. So there, mm. so the view was if they worked hard, if they just went inch by inch, right, they can make some gains. Black men were fundamentally pessimistic because they said. Their view was no matter what they did, some would always be there to, to crush them. Mm. So they said that the black man had a much more realistic perspective about about <laughs> segregation and Jim Crow. Wow. And I was arguing with somebody on Facebook about about black men. And I said, does no one find this strange? Does nobody find it strange that throughout history, the most pessimistic rendering. So we need violent revolt. We need to immigrate. We need uh, to, to separate within our own society. Right. Mm-hmm. We're all from black men. Mm. I know what I was like this is not I mean some black women certainly you know held these same views but when we think of the architects of these kinds of arguments the pessimism or what we talk about is pessimism or nationalism overwhelmingly were male you said something really uh, telling right there whenever the black male would try to stand up for himself like a human would to protect himself and his family it strikes fear everywhere Absolutely. Right. But then if white males do the same for their country, let's fight for a country. We have to protect the homeland. No one's scared. What no, is heroes. that? They're patriarchs. <laughs> hmm. Right. I mean, but this is what I'm saying. Like, you know, again, this is this is what I try to point out, you know, given the the previous literature. Right. Because Connell writes about this. Mm-hmm. The, the a patriarchal society needs expendable and disposable men. Mm. So how do you how do you inspire working class white men who are outside of the ruling class who don't have money or not educated to want to lay down their lives to protect their country you make it an honor right right you reward them with the idea of a legacy Mm. and with patriotism 
with protecting their women and homeland, protecting their culture. But notice when black men do the same thing, right? Because, and this is, you know, again, I, I use this kind of example in my classes, right? Because we have this deep association of black men with patriarchy and violence. I say, what, what other way are societies built? I was like, so let's, let's get rid of the ethical question for a moment. Let's start with the rhetoric. How do societies build themselves? So if, if you build a society and no one can protect that society from invasion, right. what happens to the society? If, yeah, it's, it's done. It's done. Mm-hmm. Let's and I say let's let's not make this grand. I was like let's talk about family structures, you know. And I and I always ask the women. I was like, so people think black men are patriarchal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So do black women do when somebody breaks into their home when you get scared? Who who goes to check the noise out? Mm-hmm. The man or the woman? Right. Male. No. The, the male. male. Right. Right. When these mass shootings happen, who who are the people? What what does our society say? Oh, let's honor the men who sacrificed their lives for the women. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. And if black because there was a situation in the shooting, I don't know if it was in Utah, Colorado, the mass shooting in the movie theater where there were men who who left their women and there was this mass outcry on social media. They're cowards. Right. Mm. I was like, so let's I was like, so let's have a real conversation about what we think about black male death and the and the obligation it has to pr- to protect female life, especially female black female life. Mm-hmm. I was like, so if. I was like, how is this not the same logic that we use to structure the disposability of men in a, in a patriarchal society? Exactly. And if you believe this, and the, the, the reason I said this is because I was setting them up, of course. The, the, <laughs> the, 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 the consequence of the argument is, well, if you fundamentally have this belief, then what would you have said about these black men that put black women in leadership positions during the 70s and the 1960s and 70s? Mm. So you say black men have a responsibility today to protect and sacrifice their lives to protect black women's. But then if black men would have put black women in the front lines of, of militant armed resistance, because if I was like I said, if black women are leading, then they're out front. Right. Are you willing to accept black female death? <laughs> and the overwhelming response to that was no. No. Then you start getting counterfactuals like, well, black men and women should die at the same rate. Mm. Like this is this is what these students do. Like, so they'll say they'll say, well, you know, I think black men and women should both die equally if black women have to die. I was like, but and I asked, but has that been the course of history? <laughs> has the course of history been written on the equality of death amongst men and women? Mm. And the answer to that question is, of course, no. I was like, was civil rights that way? No. Was lynching that way? No. Right. So, so then, why why do we have you know? And this is why I tell them, I have no problem with the idea of equality. I have no problem with the idea that women should lead and we should listen to women because. You know, they, they know some things, right? Like mm-hmm. that's just, they have experiences. They come from different positions. They know things. They have led politically. That's not the point. The point is, how do you deal with black female death? Right. Because in your mind, you are oriented by the function of patriarchy. Right. To believe that men are more disposable than women. Exactly. This is why you got the reaction to Black Panther you did when Killmonger killed a female warrior. Mm. You'll celebrate yeah. the representation of a black woman being a warrior, being able to take on men, being powerful. But there is no way for you to assimilate within the logics of a patriarchal society the death of women hmm. because you fundamentally believe that it's the job of men, despite the ideas of feminism, despite the idea of progressivism, to, to lay their life down to protect women. That's what upsets people. That hmm. it's, You're mad when women die. You're not upset when men die. Right. And that's part of the vulnerability that I'm trying to expose in the book, that we've accepted the disposability of black men. We've We've been socialized to not empathize with their dehumanization because we simply don't care about black male death beyond the fact that they're dead there is no there's no content or substance to the life right. there is just the corpse wow all right 
Yeah. And we see this play out in so many different areas of our cognition, be it in film or society or Since crises. the birth of this exactly. nation. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And that's not an argument. You know, a lot of times I think a lot of academics say, oh, well, you know, Curry's defending black men. I don't know. I don't know if that's the appropriate term. I mean, I'm I want to empirically study black men. Right. They're black men are not perfect. You know, as, as I say in the book, I'm not trying to create this idealized fantasy. And and this is what I think a lot of gender theory and feminism does. It says that because black women are women in general are oppressed by patriarchy, they can never be oppressors. They're always victims. And I think that's a ridiculous claim, especially given the work I do with male victims, mm. that women do perpetrate violence. They mm -hmm. do harm people. They do rape people. And those are very serious crimes that need to be both recognized and they need mental health services to deal with the trauma and readjust their behavior. Right. But when you talk about black men, despite their vulnerability, despite the trauma that exists in their lives, they're always and forever will be perpetrators of violence. So, and there's no reason for that. There's no reason that we have to only interpret black men in that way. So, so let's say we all become aware of black males, man, notness, if I can use that as a word. Sure, sure. What effect do you foresee this having on the black scholar, black activist, white anti-racist? So the white anti-racists, I never really trust flat out. <laughs> I'll just start there. I mean, that's that's just kind of the, the, the tone I've taken in my literature, um, because I think, you know, I think everything that we know about formidability and threat construction uh, shows us that the white anti-racist is closely programmed to fear black men. Or yeah, st men. yeah, still. Right? I understand. So they're going to be perceived as more aggressive. They're going to, you know, and, and as a just side note, you know, this is also why I think the intersectional logic of coalitions fails, because. When you look at the history of racialized men, the reason that you had, you know, the the you know the black messiah, so to speak, is because they can't form coalitions with other groups the way that women can. Mm -hmm. And this has been the case throughout history mm -hmm. from anti lynching forward, because people are fundamentally afraid of black men. Right. And the minute that they there was any kind of racial integration of, of black men and other groups, then you see what Michelle Wallace said. Suddenly it was white women were hypersexualizing black men and black men just wanted white women. Mm -hmm. Right. So these these are the, the sexualization of black men are ever present threats. Mm -hmm. That side note being taken to, to explain why, you know, I don't I don't know if it'll make a difference in coalitional logics um, in terms of the practical effects. I think the book makes a tremendous difference for black scholars. It gives us a way to reimagine um, based on actual evidence what these kinds of subordinate what what kind of call subordinate masculinities actually were doing throughout history. Because if you look at a masculinity as being separate from patriarchy, then the question is, well, what is this life like? What is this? What is this ontogeny? What is this development? Mm -hmm. and I think black men are an excellent um, study uh, test ground for that. Um, the other thing I think that it does from a scholarly point of view is that it allows us a new comparative basis to look at black men and other racialized males. Mm -hmm. Because this would then suggest that if black men actually are outside of patriarchy or victims of uh, white homoerotic patriarchy, capitalism, et cetera, then there are going to be some parallels between, say, the black male case and the Jewish case in, in the Holocaust, the Armenian case, and the Armenian genocide. Uh, black men and, and the Japanese are Asian men during the yellow perils at the turn of the century, right? right? So it gives us a new basis to compare masculinities across the board that are not using white masculinity to gauge. Mm -hmm. On a practical level, 
I think it opens up a wealth of information and possibility in terms of new protocols to treat black male victims. Yeah. Uh, I think recognizing black men as victims of trauma, be it uh, child physical abuse, child sexual abuse, or even black men who are victims of domestic abuse, um, would allow us new ways to treat those victims, to deal with interracial violence, and to readjust some of the solutions we have. Because in the academy, we're still overwhelmingly based on a Duluth model that says that patriarchy leads to abuse. Mm. Um, whereas all the studies that white people are actually doing on other white people suggest that things like alcoholism, child abuse, previous trauma, depression, uh, drug and substance abuse, those types of things lead to domestic violence. And those types of programs would be immensely helpful uh, mm. to decreasing violence in our own communities, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you look at the relationship or correlation between poverty and residential segregation and intimate partner violence and intimate partner homicide. Right. Uh, so I think that overall it gives us a new way to not just deal with black men, but to reformulate the ecological basis of violence in our communities that will also help black women stop abusing and not socialize black children uh, into abuse. Right. Uh, so I think that those those are immense benefits of this kind of perspective. Right. Uh, but I think the flip side is, is that anything that does something genuinely new that tries to innovate uh, is always met with backlash. Absolutely. And I think that in the case of black men, um, that backlash is particularly harsh because the view, I mean, you can see this on Twitter. The idea is that black men are trash. Yeah. You have you have academics at institutions like Yale and major research ones believing that black men are trash. And that genocidal language is not only shared, but embraced by many black academics, men and women. Mm -hmm. So when you're saying, listen, this because it's not is nonsense, right? Is when it you is. look at the, the proportion. And I mean, this very literally, if you look at the proportion of male um, single offender killers of women. That number's under 200 most years. Mm. There's and you know there's there's over 12 million adult black men, black men over the ages of, of 18 in this country. So we're 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 using hundreds to talk about millions of people, <laughs> and that doesn't happen because if you look at the group, if you look at the 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 death of intimates are women, single offender female perpetrators of intimate death, be it children or men, those numbers are just as high, or if, right. if not higher, because you're including ch children. Right. If you look at just them killing their spouses, the numbers are, you know, maybe if it's 200, they're probably like 120, 110, you know, just depends on the year. Wow. But we're not using the minoritization of their violence to talk about. You know, this is what I mean. We read black men based on stereotypes. There's no logic to defining black men based on a minority of offenders in in their race. So that so, is literally what we reject as racist stereotype. So how is your book being received by your peers and other people? What has been? Oh, well, it's got it's gotten great. It's got great academic reviews. I mean, mm -hmm. every review written about it thus far has been positive. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also, but I see the kind of public reactions around it uh, on some of the blogs, on Twitter, things like that, where they're trying to cast it as anti-feminist and things of that sort. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, you know, I mean, to me, that's whatever. I mean, my view is that feminism has its place. It's certainly made its contributions, but those contributions have been overwhelmingly towards our understanding of women. I think and it's just, it's a shame that they think it's anti something like, but that's, but that's the way we think. Yeah. Right? That's the way we're taught to think. So if, I mean, I don't call myself a feminist because I study the history of feminism, mm -hmm. right? right? I'm not impressed with it. So, mm -hmm. 
you know, but, you know, nobody's ever asked the hard, you know, and I think this is the difference. Like nobody asks me the hard questions, mm-hmm. you know, so they'll say, oh, well, you're, Curry's not a feminist. He's not running from a feminist perspective. So he's wrong. But nobody says, you know, does Curry actually know the history of, of, of enfranchisement, suffrage, women's rights, black, you know, because mm-hmm. all I do is read black people. Mm-hmm. And that includes lots of black women. Right. But where does Curry come down on 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 health care? What does Curry come down on, you know, child care, access to access to medical needs for children, dependency, you know, like these types of things, you know, starter grants for black female entrepreneurs. Like nobody's asking those kind of questions. Right. You know, yeah. they, they want to talk about the rhetorics of, of female equality, which has very little to do with what actually matters to black women in terms of equality because okay. health outcomes are a much bigger threat um you know access to health care access to uh quality food fruits vegetables freedom of movement within neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh, you know equal pay uh, you know when black women come out of college because they're sworn by overwhelming amounts of revolving debt like these are real questions that affect the political economy of black women in this country mm-hmm. but those questions are not on the minds of many people in the academy because their major, what they see as a major threat to black women's livelihood are not structural inequality, but black men. Right. And because I fundamentally disagree with that uh, perspective, largely because the numbers and the evidence just doesn't bear that out, you know, that that sets you up to inevitably be cast as anti-something. We'll be right back. I'm 22, just glad that I made it past 21 Cause most niggas my age never make it this young Still well alive and breathing with oxygen in my lungs But wondering why this world can't properly show us love They look at us like we thugs and animals of the wild But I've been inside this environment since a child How can I survive when this niggas on the prowl When the police want me dead, my government shows them how I'm just saying though, thinking as I'm walking out the door I said a prayer to the Lord that I safely make it home My nigga just lost his job, I'm talking about writing songs And getting out on this road he talking about kicking those He said my nigga chase his dream Cause I believe in it But that shit just ain't for me You see I need something quicker Get on television Tell him about just how we living Either locked inside a coffin Or get locked in they system Won't you Please say a prayer for my young niggas Somebody got to save them while they can Kicking down those Fully loaded pistols And they ain't even fighting for the man Please say a prayer for my young niggas Please say a prayer for my young niggas Please say a prayer for my young niggas. Yeah. Please say a prayer for my young niggas. I wonder why they never come inside our neighborhood. But as I got older, I realized it was probably good. Cause this shit ain't what it should be. They took away our fathers, left mama to play the pops, and then sent us to chase a dollar with no guidance. Like we driving through the night with no lights. This book's definitely changed how I think. <laughs> I mean, but I wouldn't say change. I would say. It's hard to say. Like, I feel like this was always there. I just needed. To be articulated in a certain yeah. way, right? And I think so, most black men feel that way. So how how has this book changed you? Um, it's shown me that there's more work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I started this book, I thought, okay, I'm just going to write this book, and you know, I'm done with it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not. You know, this will just be the end of the debates about you know black men. And here's the the funny thing is, is that since I published the book, and and you know, this is kind of a a, a personal thing, man. I've I've received so many emails from black men who have been revitalized or rejuvenated from the book. I've, I received emails from black men who were, were suicidal and said that the mm. book saved their lives. I've, I've received emails and, and uh, actually there was one on Father's Day, a guy sent me a tweet uh, where he said that my book helped him reimagine his relationship with his working class father yeah. that had been severed for years. Wow. Um, so I don't, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say because you know, when I when I look at that, it makes me extremely nervous and fearful that I haven't done enough because, mm-hmm. 
these are black men's lives that that are being yeah that are being changed or affected and you know one one of the one of the emails that that really stuck with me is this guy who said that his girlfriend had hurt him and he was thinking about ending it all and he said that he just you know he just happened to google black male vulnerability wow like he sent me this email he told me he was like you know i was hurt i was angry i was thinking about turn to violence even even you know violence against myself and you know he's like you know i i just googled black male vulnerability and your book popped up Mm -hmm. and he's like there was one copy left at barnes and noble and he said he drove to get it and he stayed up all night and writing uh, you know reading it he said he was like thank you it saved my life we need a new hashtag black male vulnerability yeah man and but you know, you know, and, and I and I and I share that story with people constantly and they're like clapping and everything. And like I'm I'm like tearing up because I'm like, you know, what if I failed? Right. Wow. You know, because I mean that's that's the situation. Like, you know, what if I failed? And and that book didn't make that impact on him. Hmm. And he would have read the book and killed himself anyway. My goodness, yeah. Yeah. But how does and, and I'm serious, like how no. does yeah. you know, how does someone deal with that? You know? And that's, those are the things I don't have answers to because my work now is so centered on victims. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so centered on these experiences that black men undergo, that, that these black men who email me and tell me that they were raped at the ages of, of four and five hmm. and nobody would hear them. No. Well. You know, like that's that's what I do. Like that's that's what I'm fundamentally committed to. Right. And well, to, to have to argue with people about hating black women because i am trying to account for the stories and experiences of black men i literally just have no intellectual patience for anymore because i'm not there's nothing you know you've read the book there's nothing in the book that denies the suffering of black women not at all you know yeah it argues that we suffer together exactly that many i'm arguing about causality i'm just saying that these theories that these you know older feminists developed are just not accurate Mm-hmm. You know, and here's how we should get to more accurate pictures that can help people. And to cast the fact that I care about whether or not young boys get treatment or young men who have been brutalized and, and raped and abused get treatment so they don't hurt the women and children in their lives. To say that that's anti-woman, I just not is not only dishonest, I just think it's immoral. Right. And, you know, and so, the, yeah, so, I mean, the book, the book's changed me because I'm haunted by those things, you know, and. I mean, my wife could tell you, it's just, you know, some days I just, you know, because I never know when, when a story or a person is going to reach out to me. And some days it just really impacts, it impacts me. It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. And, you know, like I say, you know, it, I get emotional and I'm at these conferences and I'm trying to tell these stories. And, you know, then, you know, there's always somebody there trying to boo you or, or tell you why, you know, everything you're saying is wrong. And they can't converse with you with any of the data. They can't. Mm-hmm. They can't, you know, and that's what I tell them. I was like, it's like, because at this point, it's not just data. It's me talking to these black men. What happens? It's me, you know. What happens if, because sometimes I think people get lost in numbers and yeah. all these stories that people send you, what happens if, you know, not having their names in there, but just their stories? Will, will you think that might help people see this? Like, this is really going on? Well, that's 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 what I that's what I've started doing. Because before I was all about the data, and then I started telling the stories, and some people just don't care. Mm. Like like the the next article that's coming out, I did with uh, Dr. Utley. Uh, we looked at the sexual early sexual experiences of black men um, 
basically black men were victims of child sexual abuse, mm-hmm. our, our statutory rape. And, you know, and one of the reviewers um, basically was like, well, I think this is a study of, victim, of victimology. And, I, mm-hmm. and, you know, I wrote back to the editor. I was like, listen, there is no account that exists in the literature that's investigating the stories of black men who have been victimized or raped by black women as children. Right. It does not exist. <laughs> and to get this reduced down to a story of victimology, I was like, you know what I asked? I was like, would you even entertain that argument if it was about a woman? Right. If somebody wrote, we did a study, here are the experiences of five women who were brutalized as children, would you even allow a reviewer to make that kind of comment to the author? <laughs> right. And that's, so that's what you, that's what we fight against, man. What you're, you're fighting against trying to get recognition for a problem that has a long history in how black men are treated, but has a more immediate consequence to how black men are seen and how black men live in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you show any compassion for black men beyond labeling them and disregarding their humanity, you're seen as a hotel right. or a misogynist. Right. And when I hear the stories of these men, like men who are 60, 70 years old, on the phone with me on the brink of tears because they're telling me they were raped when they were 17 or they were molested when they were nine and that I'm the only I'm the second person they've told this to in their whole lives and I'm not a clinician right like I I guess when I I guess when I wrote this book I didn't think that it was going to create the sense of lack that it does because mm-hmm. I stumbled across all kinds of problems and people who are hurt that I wasn't trained to deal with right and I'm trying to create a field of study, of black male studies, where people who do know how to help these people can feel free to write and to engage literature and to develop protocols that can actually address victims. Right. And part of that is theoretical, which is to correct all the mistakes that we've had in theory. But the other part of it is extremely personal and practical, which is how do you get people who have been brutalized and hurt help? And nobody seems to be interested in that part. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to say why, you know, why are black men disproportionately committing uh, violence against women? Or why are black men killing themselves at such a high rate? Nobody cares. They just say, oh, they're just cis toxic masculinities. Right. And they just, they're just infused with patriarchy. So you're so saying. patriarchs don't. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, on. you're going to say one of your biggest struggles is not only you fighting against academia and, 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 and uh, when it comes to theories, you're actually trying, you're fighting, well, not fighting against, trying to help the practical part of this. Yeah. Mm. Like how do people get treatment if you don't think, that, like, how do black men get treatment for domestic violence when much of the literature, when again, when you deal with white people, um, says that domestic violence is linked to some previous trauma, either child physical sexual abuse or some kind of substance addiction. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with it when it's linked to depression, anxiety, right, poverty? Right. Which these are, and these are all things that black people as a whole are disproportionately affected by. Right. Which is why you see black women have a disproportionate amount of violence against their spouses and their children. Mm-hmm. Like it's not, you know, and that's what it's not. Like I said in the introduction, the only reason gender theory makes sense is because we racially profile black men. Right. You look in the same neighborhoods, the same households, black women are just as violent. Right. If they're not as, just as violent to their spouses, they're just as violent to their children. Like, that's what happens when people are oppressed. Like, it's not like you go to a oppressed community and be like, wow, these people are so virtuous. That doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. But then when black but then black men get singled out. Mm-hmm. 
So we don't talk about child abuse. We don't talk about the fact that the age of debut for black men in this country is before the age of 14. We just pretend that these black boys who are having sex between the ages of nine and 13 doesn't affect them at all. Exactly. So these women who take advantage of them, these men in their own communities that take advantage of them, that doesn't create any kind of psychological trauma. Right. Oh, but but we look at the white literature in child abuse and trauma. Oh, there's so many theories, so many studies that talk about how the services, the adjustments, the compassion, the recognition that male victims of of, of child violence need so they don't turn on into violent predators or abusers. Right. Oh, but black men don't need those services because they're just patriarchs. They're just built that way. Don't worry about the resources of mental health. Don't worry about them having a, a space to talk about their victimhood. Black men are just fundamentally geared towards violence. That's why I like this book, because it goes so well with our show, because we interview a lot of hip hop artists and mm-hmm. the majority of them are black males. Right. And the hip hop you see in the mainstream, it like helps solidify the false narrative of who we are, while right. a lot of the people that we interview their music's a little deeper. It, they really do express the vulnerability of black men Absolutely. that they wouldn't want to push out in the mainstream. So your book it makes so much sense to the people I interview and so much sense to my audience that they need to hear this. Because um, as I was reading, I was thinking, this is hip hop. This well, is what happened. That's why I like hip hop. Yeah. yeah, this is this is what that's it. Why I teach hip hop. This is what it is. They constantly show all the masculinity, but everybody ignores the vulnerability of vulnerability. why they're saying that exactly. in the first place. And then you and you, but I mean, you know, in the article that we just published, I have a whole section just on kind of the testimonies of hip hop artists. Mm-hmm. You know, and I snuck it in there because you know I was like, listen, when you look at the people who are leading the charge, talking about black men being victims of rape. It's not academics. It's hip hop artists. Right. It's Peter Guns. Right. It's Chris Brown. It's Lil Wayne. Mm-hmm. Right. All these, you know, it's DeRay Davis, you know, black comedians. It's these people saying, look, at the ages of 12, 10, 15, I was raped by an older woman. Exactly. So then, and and then, you know, and the way they're talking about it, it's just like Lil Bow Wow comes out. It's like, yeah, you know, when I was 12, whatever, I smashed this 20 year old woman or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Like these, these stories matter because they're suggesting to us that the way that the, the culture and the political economy of of poor black life is structured is that black boys are not seen as not as boys they're seen as men right the way they describe it oh it's an it was inevitable hmm. these women didn't view me as a child they viewed me as a man so who whoever takes a, a black boy's virginity whoever his first times with is just is just off the checklist hmm. and what and just like peter gunn say what was what was his response to that well, he was like, well, if she could do that to me, then there is no basis by which I can't do this to something, someone else. Hmm. And this is a grown man on stage crying because he's like, she hurt me and I would pressure my other girlfriends into sex because then I internalized that and thought thought that's yeah, how things go. How and I, he's like, I'll always regret that. Right. So we, we go on TV and laugh because he, he basically made the side chick the wife, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But we don't understand the deep trauma that he has in forming relationships in a family. Exactly. So we, we laugh at the spectacle, right? We laugh at the spectacle of a man that can't commit to a woman that's had several of his children and then picks the and then picks the side chick. But we don't say, well then what's the basis for that behavior? Right. He was raped as a child. Right. He has issues trusting women. He he fundamentally believes that he's vulnerable to the close associations and relationships with a woman, yeah. which is Mina's whole problem with him, that he can't commit, that he doesn't know what he wants, that, he do, that he'll marry her, but he doesn't act like a husband because right. he's still with his, his baby right. mom. And it even goes further than that. When we talk about the violence in hip hop and um, 
when black males they always have to be strong always have to be strong and there's so much vulnerability and just trying to be strong they don't want to be strong all the time (laughs) you know but but what else what choices do we give exactly I mean, think about it. Our hip hop, especially when there was a big flare up around gangster rap before mumble rap, which is not really rap, but that's a different <laughs> issue. But 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 you know, back back you know when in, when hip hop like the 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 '90s and the early 2000s, right? You you have this debate about whether or not hip hop's too violent and whether or not it's reporting what's actually going on in these urban environments in right. America. Mm-hmm. And, and what's what's the eschatological problem that Black men are encountering? How do we live a life that we know is already constrained by death? Right. So you see song after song where it's like kill or be killed, right? Mm-hmm. You know, 50s first album, you know, get not the commercial one, but the Richard underground album. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The underground album, right? The one that we were passing it around in the North. Right. Even the yeah. yeah. Right. A, a, a whole, whole album is a conversation with death. Exactly. The whole album, the, literally from start to finish, is a conversation with death. Mm hmm. And and, and and we're listening to this. So even in, even when black men know they're going to die, there's no they, they, their music suggests that there is no flinching from that reality. Yep. So when Biggie's saying, look, you know, I'm ready to die. Exactly. Everybody's listening. They're jamming to the music, even though this man is saying, look, I may not live past this next hour. Right. I, <laughs> right. Like, this is, I like, need this a psychiatrist and y'all are jamming to this right now. Exactly. Wow. Because and the reason that and the reason black men do this, right? Because you know I write on hip hop, I write on like even Kanye West, you know. Right. One of the things that I, you know, because I compared him to like Jasiri X and some of his work on eschatology, mm-hmm. I was just like, listen to what these black men are telling you. You want to see misogyny? You see hypermasculinity? These black men are talking about black women in their in their communities not caring about mm-hmm. black women in their communities having an exchange of sex and money because that's what it's like in these neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Black men killing each other. I'm always surprised that nobody has a problem with the gender dynamics of black men shooting other black men <laughs> and have all the problems with whether or not we use certain words to talk about black women. Exactly. Right. All the, all the stuff about sexism in, in hip hop is never about the male-to-male violence, the competition of resources right. that black men say they constantly engage in just to survive. For them, that's not a gender dynamic. The only gender dynamic is where you place women within that exchange. Hmm. So if you're talking about having sex with women, if you're talking about drugging women, if you're talking about X, Y, and Z, and they forget all the songs where these women are talking, same women from the same communities, well, I got to get dudes. I got to trick them. Mm-hmm. I got to set them up. I set them up to be robbed. I, you know, like these people don't listen to hip hop. No. Because if they, if they listen to hip hop, if you're listening to what poor black people, especially where I'm from in the South, are talking about, then you know that you could get got at any point. Mm-hmm. You, date a, you date a woman, she could set you up to be robbed by somebody. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, because that's how it exists in these neighborhoods. So, so it's, it's it's still the same thing. Black males, even when they t- talk about our lives, it's always around death, and people pr- yeah. profit from our death, regardless if Absolutely. it's entertainment or, or education. Yeah, and I think the debate with extension shows that. Wow, it's been having on social media. Wow. Well, because you know this young man, deplorable political views history of violence and abuse and what and what do, and what do we say right we're glad he's dead Mm-mm. but then the story comes out well look at his life he's right. fighting off he's spinning off people with, with weapons against his mother at six he's been in his own his whole life he, he talk about him being homophobic i was like why do you think he why do you think that he was homophobic in, in the prison mm-hmm has this? You don't even ask. You see, that's what I mean. Exactly. Did you ever ask? Was he raped before by exactly. a man? Exactly. Yeah. 
So he has this strong reaction against a homosexual. And your view is he's a homophobic, toxic masculine. Did you think that maybe as a child when he was living in the streets, somebody raped that boy? Right. And that's not an excuse. That's context. Right. Because if, if, if a woman if a woman was raped by a man and she stabbed a man that she thought was an aggressor, people would be like, well, she was raped. Mm-hmm. A young black boy is put in a cell with a man that he said that he identifies as homosexual and beats beats him till he's bloody. And you just and you just heard that he was living on the streets for years because he was by himself. So was there a history of abuse? Right. Right. And it, again, not to justify his choices, but why does the theory suddenly go to the fact that he was a dangerous, toxic black man, that the world's better out instead of looking at what the world did to this person. Because we have been programmed since the beginning to see us as subhuman man-nots. Exactly. Well, Dr. Tommy J. Curry, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show and, and, and writing this book. And this is a game changer book. And I just want you to know to keep pushing and talking about the blackmail i know it could be hard on you as well because it's a lot of responsibility but this is needed this we need to be shown in a different light because since we've been here there's been little snippets of us talking about this vulnerability but it really needs to have its spot and it's not competing against any other spot so i just want to everybody that's listening right now you need to read this book if you have a black man in your life. If you care about black men, you need to read this book. And I just want to say thank you so much, uh, Dr. Tommy J. Curry, for being on Book Speaks and Beyond. Thank you, sir. If you want to purchase the book or any of the music, I've included links in the show notes. Or you could just go to booksbeatsandbeyond.com. And you know what's cool is by clicking on the links, you support the guests the music artists and we get a small commission which is no extra cost to you that will go toward the operations of this show also click on the itunes link to subscribe rate and leave a review if you did this stuff already i just want to say thank you so much for your support remember let's read listen explore